A registered rep has a primary duty to their employer, to their broker-dealer. And someone working for NRIA, their primary duty is to the client. Welcome to The Financial Commute, a weekly podcast that gives you the rundown on what's going on in the current market, how it affects you, and what you can do about it, all designed to fit into your commute. I'm your host, Chris Galeski, and each week I share the table with a knowledgeable guest, including Morton Wealth Advisors, fund managers, and investment analysts, to break down complex financial topics. Our goal is to provide you with the tools to help you navigate any market environment, leading to a path of more confident investing. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us for another episode of The Financial Commute. I'm your host, Chris Galeski, joined by Wealth Advisor, Priscilla Brim. Priscilla, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. We're going to talk today about the difference between a brokerage firm and a registered investment advisory company like Morton, so an RIA. I think that there's a lot of confusion out there, not only with which investments do I choose, what do I do, but also what's the difference between company A and company B. So I thought we might want to educate or um, talk to our clients a little bit about the differences between those two models. Sure. Now, not everybody is hiring a financial advisor. Some people might want to do it themselves. And there's all sorts of studies that say very interesting things when it comes to making decisions by yourself. But you you Googled it this morning, right? I did. I thought, well, what if I were, I wanted to be a successful investor, but I wanted to work on my own. I felt that I could do that. You know, I'm a good user of the internet, right? So I put in my search bar, what is a good investment right now? And I got 3.2 billion hits. And then I realized if I were a successful investor working on my own, I really wouldn't know where to start. There, there are so many different things to invest in. And then so many different companies to invest with. Yeah. It can be confusing or not really clear who you're talking to and where they're incentivized necessarily. Exactly. Um, so the key part of today is to talk about the differences between the brokerage firm and the RIA model. But then at the end, we're going to share a few questions that people can use to ask the person that they're maybe interviewing for advice or insight to kind of see where those conflicts may arise. Exactly. Does that sound good? Exactly. Well, one of the reasons why I'm excited to talk to you about this topic is you've been in the industry for a couple of years, but you used to be a chief compliance officer. Yeah. So as a chief compliance officer of a registered investment advisory firm where you're forced to be a fiduciary, tell me a little bit about the, like the regulatory side of things versus the human side of things. Well, that really brings up, I think, one of the key differences between an RIA or registered investment advisor and a broker dealer, and that is the standard of care. So as the chief compliance officer of an RIA, I had to make sure that we were acting in our capacity as a fiduciary. So basically a fiduciary is someone who must always put your best interest above their own. And so um, we spent a lot of time thinking about what that meant. We spent a lot of time making notes about conversations um, making sure that we understood each and every client and how they were different and that what we were doing was always without fail in their best interest. And that's very different 
from the broker-dealer model. And it's not that broker-dealers are bad. I don't, I don't want to say that at all. Right, not bad. Just not, different. Just different, yeah. Because their standard of care is that an investment that they sell you has to be suitable. Yeah. And it has to be suitable to your specific situation. So, in other words, um, if you're, um, you know, elderly and you need income, they need to make sure that any investments they sell you meet that specific situation. Yeah. Right. Um, but that doesn't mean that they have to find, for example, they maybe they will sell you a mutual fund that produces income, probably invests in bonds, but they might sell you a mutual fund that has a higher commission that's suitable, but it's maybe not in your best interest. And, you know, I think that that's one of the things that was surprising to me. Look, I've been in the industry for 15 years, so still relatively young. Although today we're seeing some things in the market that have never happened before. Um, but early on in my career, it became very apparent that when I was working for Morgan Stanley, that we operated on the suitability standard or the best interest con con contract. And I was in a meeting with uh, my manager at the time. I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus. And volatile times, 2009, 2010, coming out of the Great Recession, there were these things called structured products or structured notes. Um, they were designed to limit some of the upside but protect you on the downside. The prospectus was as big as like a dictionary. Um, and they said, you're registered, you're licensed, go sell this. I mean... God forbid somebody read the entire booklet. I couldn't even tell you everything about it. I didn't feel comfortable just going and selling it. Um, but what I was told is, hey, people that want protection from the downside and are willing to give up some of the upside, this is great for them because they just lived through the financial crisis and people don't want to lose money, so go sell it. That was a clear example of you know finding people that this would be suitable for versus finding people that you know, this makes sense for them. Right. Well, uh, that really points to the fact that broker-dealers are compensated when they execute transactions. Yeah. That's that's in the official description of a broker-dealer. Dealer. They execute um, transactions on behalf of a client. Yeah. Actually, they call them customers. Um, and if you don't buy or sell, the broker-dealer doesn't get paid. And they can provide investment research and some information, but technically a registered representative of a broker-dealer is not allowed to call themselves an investment advisor. And, um, and that, I think, is an important distinction. They can call themselves a financial advisor. But not an investment advisor. Yeah. So in your situation, when you were told to go sell this yeah. thing, yeah. this structured product, um, you were executing your responsibility to your broker-dealer. That's your primary your primary responsibility. Um, and you should have been told to find customers who are suitable for oh, this. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. I didn't find any. And my title at the time was financial advisor associate, if that helps bring credibility, even more credibility. Yeah, so you were yeah. one level down. Yeah, yeah. It was, I was in the training program. Look, yes. I, was, I was brand new. <laughs> um, but you, you have a story... That goes back to when, when you were first in this business and creating financial plans. You know, tell me a little bit about that. 
Um, this was pre-Morton. Yeah. And this was pre the time when I had my own financial planning firm. I was working for a company that um, primarily sold life insurance, but we had uh, identified a need with their customer base, they needed financial plans. And so I created a financial planning service for them. Um, I really was excited about this because I thought, how important is this, you know, for somebody to have a financial plan? And I really was disappointed when some of my financial plans were rejected by the management or the salespeople because I didn't recommend enough life insurance. Mm -hmm. And that was really how they made their money. Yeah. So um, it was kind of an eye-opening experience for me. And that was, and, and to your point, being eye-opening, that was one of the first times where you sat there and said, look, I'm just trying to give the best advice possible. Exactly. I'm now seeing a conflict. You eventually made your way over to Morton, and you, and you came here because that conflict was removed. Yeah. Uh, after this experience, I, I did start my own financial planning firm, and I said, I'm never, 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 ever going to do something that is not in the best interest of my clients. Yeah. I owe them that, right? We do. And um, I say so this, for, I say this yeah. sometimes. It's not our job to put um, our values around somebody else's money, right? No. It's our job to truly understand who they are, what they're trying to accomplish, where they're trying to go, and help facilitate that journey the best way possible. Exactly, yeah. exactly. You tell me what you want, and let's figure out how to get you there. Yeah, exactly, and, yeah. It's, and, and as creative as possible. Yes. Yeah, I love yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so, so you left, you, you were adamant that, you know what, I'm not gonna have any conflicts of interest. You started your own firm, and then you met Lon, who had started, this investment advisory firm, no conflicts, fee-only fiduciary back in 1982. Right, Yeah. right. Um, he had started his firm in 82. I had started my financial planning practice in 1984. Good. And I met him again in the 1980s. And um, we sort of traded referrals back and forth, yeah. right? And um, in 1988, he finally convinced me to join the firm full-time. So, and that, the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> it it tend, tends to work out that way. Now, um, the regulations, so brokerage regulations, they, they might have a different viewpoint in terms of the regulations that they might put in place for a particular investment. And it might surprise you on what some of these, you know, standard regulations or, or pushback might be. Um, I laughed when you were sharing me this example of, looking into an investment and saying, no, I think the, you need to adjust the font size or, you know, how this is laid out. It's not really the investment them, itself, but it's how it's being marketed. Yeah. Uh, the uh, FINRA spends a lot of time issuing uh, regulations, some of which literally have to do with the font size on a business card. Um, and I'm just not sure that that's really what an investor needs to be successful. I think what you need to be successful is someone who has your best interest, who understands your aims, who will help you achieve your life goals. Yeah. And um, you know, when you're when you're working with a broker dealer because they are paid for transactions, it's probably going to be a transactional relationship. Yeah. If there's nothing to buy or sell, there's nothing to talk about. Yeah. Right? 
Whereas with an RIA, um, because we're not compensated based on the transactions, we're paid for our advice, it's, it's a very, very different relationship. Yeah. And so if, if you're a new investor or you're someone that's going out there and interviewing somebody to be your financial advisor or your investment advisor, um, what are some questions that you would want to make sure to tell your younger self or other people, um, here's, here's the questions that you should ask the person that you're interviewing? Well, I think one of the first questions to ask is, how are you paid? And um, we gave the example that a broker-dealer or a registered representative is paid based on transactions, right. whereas an RIA will either be paid an hourly fee. Normally, an RIA is paid as a percent of assets under management. Mm -hmm. And so understanding how someone is paid is, is a good starting point. Yeah. A second question, uh, ask about the standard of care. Are you a fiduciary? And an RIA will say yes, they are, and a registered rep will say no. I love the fact that you called it out right at the forefront. I think it's important that people ask their advisor or the person that they're interviewing, are you a fiduciary? Or do you operate in what's suitable in a best interest contact be, contract? Because there, there's some interesting, I get conflicts of interest that can arise. You can be a certified financial planner and supposed to be held at a, as a fiduciary standard, but working for a broker dealer where you're incentivized in other ways. People should know and understand that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, a registered rep has a primary duty to their employer, to their broker dealer. And someone working for NRIA, their primary duty is to the client. Yeah. So that's kind of an important difference because as a registered rep, your job is to do what the broker-dealer tells you needs to get done. Right. So if there's um, excess inventory, you know, maybe some bonds that need to get moved out of the broker-dealer's inventory, that's your job. Yeah. Well, I, I love that you brought that up. I mean, if I'm working for a brokerage firm, not going to pick on any names, I've got to do, you know, what they need from time to time. Whereas if I'm working for Morton Wealth, I can do what's be what's best for the client. Yes. I don't have to worry about having to sell a product. Yeah. Um, I think another question uh, to ask is what kind of services do you offer? And are there additional fees for those services? Yeah. And then um, I think it's really important to have a conversation about investment philosophy. Right. What's the philosophy of the firm? Um, you know, what kind of asset classes, how do you determine what asset classes I should be invested in, yeah. and um, see what how that conversation evolves. That'll be a very interesting conversation. I, I like that one. I often find that when conversations with clients that, you know, come to us from somewhere else, um, and they're not happy with performance or investments or the way things, um, you know, shook out from time to time, it's often because they're not aware of the investment philosophy of the people that they were investing with and whether or not it aligned with them. There's a mismatch of expectations yeah. from time to time. Yeah. And oftentimes someone's success when it comes to investing is how they respond or react during good or bad times. Exactly. Um, 
And having that understanding with the people that you're working with and being on the same page with how to best respond or react during good and bad times will make sure that you have a partnership that's truly going to help you get better returns and stay invested long term. And look, we're not right for everybody, but, you know, you should know that when the markets go down, we're not going to say sell and go to cash. No. Um, in fact, we might actually knock on your door and say, maybe we might need to buy. Yeah. Um, and if that doesn't sit well with you or that's not the way you would want to react, then you need to find somebody that would respond differently. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, I think, Chris, another difference that you will usually find between a broker dealer and an RIA is um, discretion. In other words, um, a broker dealer except in very, very limited circumstances, cannot buy or sell anything in your portfolio without your specific authorization, whereas an RIA will normally take discretion. Now, that discretion um, is within the confines of, you know, all of the things that you've talked about, your goals, your time horizon, your risk tolerance, et cetera. But um, that's another question that I think is important to ask is, do you execute trades on a dis discretionary basis. Yeah. Um, we've seen some interesting situations where, you know, people own individual bonds and, you know, they're saying, I'm, uh, oh, I don't pay a fee for, you know, me to own that. But then you can look up the EMA data and you find out that there was a 3% commission to buy, you know, some of these things that at the time were yielding two and a half or 3%. It just, it's scary, but um, I digress. Look, we've talked about a lot today, but mainly the differences between a brokerage firm mm -hmm. and a registered investment advisory firm, and really the difference between being a fiduciary and then operating through the form of what's suitable or a best interest um, contract. I love the advice that you gave in terms of understanding the conflicts of interest, the philosophy behind the people that you're working with, and whether or not they're truly a fiduciary as you're trying to find a partner to help you reach your long-term goals. Um, it's so important to have a relationship where you're on the same page with some of those core things um, in order for people to be successful, especially around decisions around money. So thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure. Thank you for joining us. And we hope this episode has provided you with a roadmap to feel more confident as an investor. To receive notifications about weekly episodes, email us at financialcommute at mortonwealth.com.